I want to be honest with you. Uh, you see my wife crying. And I want her to know, I told her during the prayer time, it's going to be okay. It's going to be alright. Uh, but I want you to know something, church. What you say and what you do, whether you mean it or not, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, okay? It's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. I feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do. And I'm going to do it. Now, nobody said anything to me directly, okay? Nobody has. Uh, there was something that happened this week, and, and uh, Sandra caught wind of it, and uh, she responded to it. And uh, <laughs> I asked her not to, but in defense of me, she wanted to, and, and she did. And, and I appreciate that about her. I love her. And I appreciate the fact that she stands up for me, but... I told our students last Sunday night, I want them to understand something. We didn't come here out of obligation. We came here because this is what God called us to do over a year ago. And I want them to understand something. I told them this that, this last Sunday night, that I love them. And I'm pouring everything that I have into them, as much as I have into them. And I'm going to continue to do that. But sometimes when people do things, when students do things... It hurts. It hurts. And when Sandra came down this morning, I asked, I said, what's, what's wrong? And she said, I just don't want you to be discouraged. That hurts. You don't like to see anybody cry, especially your spouse. But to know that she's crying for my sake hurts even more. We're going to be okay. I'm okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Hey. Um, let's pray this morning, and then we'll jump into our scripture. God, we... We just simply want to say thank you. God, even though at times our spirits may be weak, our faith may be weak, God, it's during those times that we know that our strength doesn't come from ourselves, doesn't come from others, but God, it comes from you. And so God, this morning... I just simply ask for your strength. I ask that your spirit would fill me. And that God, that it would fill this place. That you would take your word. God, as it's spoken, that it would speak to hearts. And God, ultimately, that it would change lives. Father, help us to be the church that you have called us to be. 
And God, may we be unapologetic about it. So Father, this morning we invite you. Meet with us. Talk to us. Challenge us. Encourage us. God, change us. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know something else about me. I am who I am. I told Sandra the other day, I'm not going to change that. That wouldn't be fair to you. It certainly wouldn't be fair to God. And so it is what it is. I'm going to continue to do what I know to do, and that is simply each week, every morning, every evening, sit down, study God's Word, read God's Word, and prepare the message that I believe He's laid on my heart. It's amazing to me, Mark and I were talking this morning, and we were talking about these seven letters to the seven churches, and I've mentioned every week, we need to understand and realize that these are real churches during real time, going through real issues. And guess what? Today's church is a real church dealing with real issues, these issues that these seven churches are dealing with. And so every single week, these letters should be speaking to you individually as it should to us as a church. It should be challenging us. There should be an encouragement in there, but there should also be a challenge in that letter. And so this morning, we have a letter to a church. The first three letters, as we've read, you have uh, Pergamum, who we just studied about, Smyrna, and then Ephesus. Ephesus was the first letter that we studied about. And, and we know by studying and reading about that church, knowing that church, that that church on the outside looked very wealthy, looked very healthy, but on the, on the inside, as Jesus observed that church and surveyed that church, He told that church, you know what, you're doing some great things, you're holding to the faith, but you've left your first love. And so therefore, everything that you're doing means absolutely nothing because you're doing it without the love of Christ in you. And then you have the church of Smyrna who was under some heavy, heavy persecution. And on the outside, they looked like a very poor church. But on the inside, they were strong. So strong that Jesus went on to say that you're rich in Christ. There's no better wealth than that right there. And then you have the church of Pergamum, who, for some unknown reason, thought that they could somehow be in with the world and in with Christ. They wanted to somehow blend in with the world, but yet still be the church. And what I mean by blending in, taking on some of the ways of the world inside of the church. And Jesus said, but wait a minute, you can't do that. Now, we are called to be in this world, but not of this world. That's what Revelation chapter 12 says. We're to be in this world, but not of this world. And so there needs to be a distinct identity between the world and the church. I think that comes with a clear understanding of who God's called the church to be and the vision that God has called that church to have. 
Now listen, I want you to understand something. I've said this many times in some of our leadership meetings as we talk about other churches and things that are going on in other churches. And though I think it is good to to learn from some of those ideas, we need to understand something, First Baptist. God has called us to be First Baptist. He has not called us to be any other church any other way. He has called us to be First Baptist. And so within that... It is up to us to rely on God to give us that vision, that calling as a church to impact the world around us. And so that leads us this morning to this letter. It's a very long letter. It's a lengthy letter. The longest, actually, of all seven of the letters. We're going to get a very different picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in this letter as He comes as a righteous judge to this church. Thyatira. In verse 18 it says this. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. What a picture. Of Christ. What a description of Christ. Hey, listen, if we don't understand anything else, we need to understand that as Christians, as people, as God's creation, anything and everything that we do, God sees. There's not a thing that happens under His watch that He doesn't see. But we also need to understand that there are consequences. For our sins. So in verse 19 he says this to the people of Thyatira. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Wow. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all of the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Verse 27. That one will rule then. Rule them with an iron scepter. And will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. That is the fourth letter. To the fourth church. And as I told you, to, to give you kind of an image, a map of what this looks like, 
this Asia Minor, you've got John. Remember, John is pinning this letter, but Jesus is giving him the words as John is in exile on the island of Patmos. And if you look in the back of your Bible or maybe there off to the side of, of that verse of Scripture, you'll see a picture of the seven churches in the island of Patmos and where that is, where, where John is actually located. And then you have uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and then you begin to descend down the mountain, so to say, to Thyatira. And so this is now the fourth letter of the seven churches. And today, as we talked about the other three churches, today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a church that had become so well blended in with the world that they were becoming unrecognized as a church by the world. How tragic is that? How tragic is it to know that even thousands of years ago that there was a church so blended in, so well blended in with the world that the world didn't even recognize them as a church. How many churches today could we say the same thing about? If we were to go out and begin to stop traffic and begin to ask people in their cars, hey, does this look like a church to you? They would say yes. You know why? Because it has a steeple. And the parking lot's full at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Yes, it must be a church. But does that define First Baptist Church as a church? No. It's the people within the church that make the church. And so even here, it wasn't the building, it was the people themselves. They were becoming so well blended in with the world that no one recognized them as a Christian. Let that be our warning this morning. Let that be our warning this morning. I know you've had these moments. I've had these moments. Had one this week. You know those moments where something happens to you and you go, man, I really hope nobody saw that. You've had those moments, right? You've had them. I know you have. I had one this week. Those moments where you're walking, maybe by yourself or with somebody else, and you trip, and you go, man, I really hope nobody saw me do that. <clears throat> All right, I've even been to the funeral home before and walked into the wrong room and viewed the wrong casket and thought, man, I hope they didn't see me do that. But I know they did. You've had those moments. I've, listen, I've been in the gym. I was in the gym two weeks ago. And a guy went to punch the bag and he completely missed the bag. And I know in his mind he was thinking, I hope nobody saw me do that, but I saw him in the mirror. I didn't say anything, but I saw him. It was pretty funny. Just this week, I was carrying some stuff uh, into Southern Westland, their athletic department. I have an office there now. And I was carrying some stuff in there and they've got a new entrance and there's a about a six-inch step down or step up, depending on whether you're going in or out. So anyway, I opened the door, and I had my hands full. Not that that's an excuse, but I step out and, and completely forgot about the step down. I mean, completely forgot. 
and just hit the ground. And immediately, you know what you do? You begin to look around, right? And think, nobody saw that, right? The only problem is this is a college campus. There are people everywhere. The parking lot's right there, so there are college students coming from the parking lot to class, and they're all looking at me laughing. You can't play that one off. You know, some of those times when you're walking in the wrong direction and you realize you're walking in the wrong direction, you kind of pull your phone out and go and play that off. You can't play off falling face down on the floor or the ground and college students are standing around you. You just can't pull that one off. But we all have had those moments. We've seen that happen. One of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV. I love ESPN and the not top tens. I absolutely love those. Several years ago, there was a guy, he was at a Toronto Blue Jays baseball game. Front row, right behind home plate. He had just sat down with a big old thing of popcorn. Pitch comes, batter swings, fouls it off, and it goes right back into the net, right at this guy's head. And the minute he looks up, the ball hits the net, and popcorn just goes everywhere. He comes out of his seat, literally comes out of his seat. I cried. I was laughing so hard. That's one of those moments. It was just, it's, it's caught on tape. You can't, you cannot defute that. I mean, it, it happened. You can't say it didn't. It did. They caught it on tape. We've all had those moments in our lives where those things have happened. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear me this morning. Here's a church who thought, who thought they could get away with blending in with the world and God wouldn't see them. Here's people who thought they could marry the world and get away with it without Jesus seeing them. And when Jesus comes in to evaluate the church, He goes, wait a minute. Don't you remember? My eyes are like blazing fire. I see everything. I see everything. There's not a thing you can do that I don't see. There's not a thing you say that I don't hear. You see, we studied last week the church of Pergamum or Pergamus, however you want to pronounce that. One, one commentary said that they were beginning to court the world. They were beginning to court the world, meaning they were beginning to blend in with the world. There was still some identity there, but some of the people were beginning to court the world. Well, the same commentary went on to say that the church of Thyatira was celebrating anniversaries with the world. That they were so engulfed in the world and so saturated with the world that they had lost their identity, losing their identity as a church. It's a dangerous place. A dangerous place for God's people to be in, for God's church to be in. So let's look at our first point this morning. I've done this in the past three letters. We're going to continue to do this through all seven. We're going to look at the place. We're going to look at the people. We're going to look at the problem. If there is a problem, there are a couple that there is no problem, no condemnation. 
And then we're going to look at the promise. And so the first point being the, the place. It's interesting to know Thyatira still exists today. It actually exists today and there's about 25,000 people that live there in Thyatira. It's a very long valley. If you look at a map, Thyatira is in a, in a valley, a very long valley. And it swept all the way down and connected to Pergamos. So if you go up from Thyatira, you hit Pergamos. And, and we know in studying last week that Pergamos was the, the capital for several hundred years of Asia Minor. And so here was the issue with Thyatira, though, because they were such a valley and they were below Pergamos. When, when armies would come up to try to take, take over or capture Pergamos, they would go through Thyatira and they would take over. And they would devastate that small town, that small city. And some studies even said that they lost count of how many times Thyatira was overtaken by militaries because it happened so often. Isn't it interesting that that's the only thing at that time that gave them significance? The fact that they were the gateway to Pergamos. The other thing that gave them somewhat significance was the fact that they were a producer, the center of wool and dyeing of cloth. So much so that that's still today, their, their mainstream of, of income comes from the dyeing of cloth. We'll get into that in just a second. But their significance came as a result of them being a gateway to Pergamos. You know, I thought the other day, it's interesting, you go through Westminster, you come in here or over at the middle school or on 123, and we have these new signs, right? We have these new signs that were made, and if you read the sign, does anybody know what the sign says? Anybody? Yes, the brand new signs. You can't answer. Because we've talked about this. Alright, that's close. Nope, not anymore. We are now the gateway to the mountain lakes region. Something like that. You'd think I would know it. It says something about lakes and mountains, okay? We're the gateway to lakes and mountains. That's it. That's it. We're the gateway to lakes and mountains. Now listen, I don't want city council or anybody like that calling me, okay? But we got, we've got to be better than that. Right? I mean, we've got to be better than that. Look, lakes are beautiful. Mountains are, are even more beautiful. We've got to be better than that. We're just a gateway? Do we not give people reason enough to want to stop? 
It has forever baffled me why Main Street is where it is. Now listen, that happened long before my time. I know it did. Long before my time. But that has forever baffled me. And I don't know that that will ever be changed. I don't know. I think it could. Certainly it could. But we have bypassed Main Street. I go that way sometimes just to give them some traffic. <laughs> they need traffic. But do you, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's all Thyatira was. That's it. They had no significance other than the only reason why I'm going through there is because I've got to to get the Pergamum. How many times have you ever had a conversation with people that said, well, yeah, I go through Westminster, but that's only to get through or get to the mountains. Yeah. That's the only reason why they come through. Are we not giving them a better reason? For them, that was it. That was it. That was their significance. You know, I asked that question about the sign because that is the, the purpose statement of, of, of Westminster. I'm assuming. And, and nobody really knows what that is. What about in the church? What's our purpose? What's our vision as a church? Well, guess what? If you don't know it, you can't live it out. I've been asked to serve on, and I, I, I use this term loosely, committee. I don't like that term. But I was asked to serve on this committee, and we met last Thursday night over at the depot to discuss the future of the rec department. And, and the developing plans to, uh, to really just enhance the, the sports world as a whole here in the city of Westminster. And I sat through that meeting for an hour, and when I walked out of there, I went, there's, there's no vision. There's no vision. See, I'm the type of guy that, that, you say, hey, this is what I want. And then once you say, this is what I want, let's map out a plan to make sure that we get that done. To me, that's vision. Hey, five years down the road, this is what I want to see done. This is what I want to see happen. And then let's get there. Let's not lay out eight, nine, ten, eleven different things and then hee-haw around and, and try to figure it out. Let's set one goal, let's go for it, and let's get it done. But see, you know the issue with the church is we have a lot of great ideas. We have a lot of people saying, well, I like this, I don't like that, I like this, I don't like that. But yet nobody wants to step up and do anything. Nobody wants to step up and change anything. Instead, we go, well, you know what, I don't like that. So I'm just going to go somewhere else. What's that? Who does that? 
I can't say who does that. I'll leave y'all there. Y'all can hang on to that. Verse 19. He goes on to say, he uses one verse. One verse. To the church. To encourage them. To commend them. And this is what he says. In verse 19, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Jesus has looked at the work of the church in Thyatira and He said, I know your deeds. They're good. I know your deeds. You're working. Then He says, your love and your faith. They were a loving church. They were a loving church. And there were some still holding to the faith in the church that were faithful. They were loving. And he says, your service and your perseverance. You see, the Christians, of, uh, even here in Thyatira, they were still under the same persecution. Still under the same ruler. Facing loss of jobs, even to the point of loss of life. By not bowing down to the Roman government. And he says, I see your service. I see your perseverance. Watch what he says next. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Let me tell you something. As a Christian... If you can look back over the course of your walk with Christ and you see no difference from day one to to day whatever, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your walk. There's a disconnect somewhere. Because Jesus says right here, even in this church, where they're badly persecuted, their lives were being taken Their livelihoods were lost. They're still growing. When Christians today, when we face difficulty, when we face perseverance, you know what we want to do? We want to shut down. We want to clam up and give up. And you know what that does? That only stunts our growth. When God's saying, you know what, press on. Push on. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to see a difference in your life from point A to point B. There should be a difference. No matter if it's thousands of years ago or today, there should be a difference. But there's a problem. There's a problem. There was a horrible influence here in Thyatira. And it came, it came by way of one woman named Jezebel. Now listen, you may know a Jezebel. You might be related to a Jezebel. You might have named your kid Jezebel. I hope not. But wow. What a name. Now listen, I've caught grief for my name my entire life. I've had people call me anything and everything under the sun but Mackenzie. 
Why my mom named me that, the only reason why I know is because I had a great-grandmother, that was her maiden name. Why we did that, I do not know. So when our boys were born, it was said and done, they will have names that can be pronounced and be spelled correctly. So that's why I go by Mac. But you know what? That still gets misinterpreted. I've been called Matt. I've been called Mike. You name it, I've been called it. I can't win for losing. But Jezebel, whew, I would never wish that on anybody. You want to know why? Because of the perception that she had. You go back into the Old Testament in 1 Kings, you'll see the first mentioning of Jezebel. She was a queen of, of Israel. But she believed in an immoral lifestyle. And she lived an immoral lifestyle. And so, so much so that she led the people of Israel to live the same lifestyle. So you fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation and you have a, a woman by the same name. And guess what? Her life was no different. Her life was no different. She had this wild idea and wild theology that God only cared about our soul. And that's all He cared about. Some of from a fleshly standpoint, we could do whatever we wanted. We could live however we wanted because God didn't care about our flesh. All He cared about was our spirit because that was all that was going to go on after we died. And you go, really? Yes. She had to have some buy-in. I mean, if I came in and, and preached this crazy wild theology and, said, and, and tried to convince you to live that way, that lifestyle, that way, I have to have something to get you to take the bait. And for her, it was simply this, that God doesn't care about your flesh. All He cares about is the Spirit. And so that gave them this wild idea that, you know what, I can live however I want with my flesh. Because God doesn't care. All He cares about is my spirit. And I've already given my life to God. I've already given my life to Christ. And so my spirit's good, so I can live however I want with my flesh. How messed up is that? You know what, though? <clears throat> Even though we may not be following the lifestyle of Jezebel and her theology, we have people living that way today. We have people in this church right here, right now, that are living that way. They say they've given their lives to Christ, but yet through their lifestyle, it, it's something completely different. It is nowhere close to the lifestyle that we're called to live based on Scripture. What's wrong with that? Are we as a church not doing a good enough job of teaching God's Word? Have, have we compromised so much that the world has influenced our lifestyles? Jesus sees it right here. And He tells this church, you better watch it. You better be careful. 
is this woman Jezebel. She's leading you down the wrong road. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, you'll see there, there are two things that Jesus absolutely detested in His church. And those two things were idol worship and eating unclean food. Those are the two things that He detested. And those were the two things, <clears throat> immorality and eating unclean food that this church was doing. And she was leading them to that. If we go on, you'll see there is something else that Jesus, even in verse 19, it's kind of a continuation of verse 19. He says this in verse 24, He says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to the teaching, to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Except to hold on to what you have until I come. Listen, there's no doubt in this world today that people, not talking about just young people, people in general are easily influenced. Easily influenced. Maybe it's something with inside the church that you don't like. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's the preacher. Maybe it's a, a, a whatever is going on. Maybe it's a Bible study or a Sunday school class that you don't like. Or maybe it's just that you're too busy. You know, I saw that the other day and I thought, it, it made me sick. It was a church that said, it was just a question. Not busy? Come join us. Really? Really? That's sad. Listen, God didn't call us to come and just sit in pews, blend in with the world, blend in with everybody else, leave, go about our business, come back, do the same thing over and over again. Or at least I know that's who God hasn't called me to be. Now, I'm not a mover and a shaker. But I can promise you this, I'm not going to come and just sit. I'm not going to just blend in. God's called me to make a difference. God's called this church to make a difference. Now, what does that look like for each and every one of you? I can't tell you that. I can tell you what it looks like for me. But even in the midst of everything that's going on, even in Thyatira, He tells them, listen, keep the faith. Keep pushing forward. Hold on to what you have. And don't let anybody take it away. Listen, there might be something going on in your life. There might have been something that happened to you this week. And it stretched you. It knocked you down. It might have hurt. 
There might have been some temptations that have just absolutely been nailing you to the wall. God's saying, hold on. Hold on. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Listen, there might be people attacking you. Satan is attacking you. I can guarantee you that. But he may be using other people to attack you. Hold on. You keep the faith. You keep fighting. Listen, you are called to be different. I'm called to be different. You're God's child. You're called to be different. Doesn't matter where you're at in your life. Doesn't matter if you're 21 or you're 61. We're all called to keep the faith. We're all called to persevere. And he tells the church here, those few that were holding to the faith, even though their church was being overrun by the world, those few, he tells them, hold on to the faith. Keep fighting. And listen, he leads us to a promise. He always ends with a promise. And here's what he says. He says, I'll give authority over the nations that that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I've received authority from my Father, I will also give that one that the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Listen, it's not up for me. It's not up to me to judge. It's not up to... For me to share my opinion. My opinion is strictly my opinion. And a lot of times I'm going to keep that to myself. Because when it comes to the things of God, guess what? He is the ultimate judge. In all things, He is the judge. That's simply what Jesus is saying right here. That in the end, all of this persecution, all of these things are not that are not of God, guess what? He's going to judge. He's going to have the final say. He's going to have the lasting victory. That's the truth that you and I can hold on to this morning. It's the fact that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've faced, yesterday, last week, this past year, or what we're going to face in the weeks, years to come, we've got to understand something. And when it's all said and done, when the dust settles, smoke clears, guess who gets the victory? God. God. So in the direction of this church, guess who gets the victory? God. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the deacons. It's not church council. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not the staff. It's God. As long as we're obedient to do His will. Listen, there's no greater promise than the promise God gave us through His Son, Jesus. The fact that He would come, He would live, He would die, 
for you and I is absolutely amazing. There's no greater story. There's no greater promise than that of Christ. And listen, I've wrestled with this all week. Why don't we tell more people about our church? Why don't we tell more people about Jesus? Why don't we? Why don't you? I'm asking myself the same question. Why don't we tell more people about Jesus? That's a thought for you to ponder this morning. But if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you this morning. I want, you, I want to invite you this morning to come. You need Jesus. Without Him, you're lost. You're destined for hell. And you don't know if there will ever be another moment for you to accept that perfect gift of Christ. Maybe you're struggling with something and you, you need prayer. You need someone to come with you and pray over something going on. Maybe in your life or your family. I invite you to come this morning. Maybe you've come and it's amazing to believe that Kenny and Lynn have been gone for a month today. Hey, you look out however you want. One month down, three to go. Right? <laughs> you can view it however you want. Three more months to put up with this knucklehead and... Then you got to put up with the other knucklehead. And <clears throat> that's an opinion. All right? But maybe you do. Maybe you want to join this church. I'm telling you what. Joining the fellowship of this church is one of the best decisions our family has ever made. Without question. One of the best decisions our family has ever made. Wouldn't have it any other way. We asked to come here. Were we looking to come here? Absolutely not. But this is the door that God opened. And I'm grateful for that. And so I invite you this morning, if that's you, if that's your family, I invite you to come this morning. I'm going to ask Mark to come. We're going to pray and then we're going to open the altar and I invite you to come this morning. However God's spoken to your heart, I want you to come down. Listen, this altar shouldn't be empty. I shouldn't stand up here. I don't, you know I don't sing anyway. And then I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. Come to the altar. Maybe it's somebody else you need to pray for. Come pray for them. Come pray for them this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the promise that lies within it, God. Thank You for the challenge that lies within it. And This morning, God, we just, as a church, God, we pray with a humble heart that we would truly strive to be the church that You have called us to be. And that, God, we would not go unrecognized. But that, God, we would be recognized by the world as your children. As a people of God who are unapologetic about who they are and who you've called us to be. So, God, this morning, I have no idea how you've spoken to hearts this morning, but I, I look forward to watching your spirit move this morning. God, I pray that you'd fill this altar. 
with hearts of, of joy and, and even hearts of burdens, God. But I pray that when they're left here, God, that we could walk out of here this morning knowing that we've met with the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So God, this morning, have your way, have your will. In Christ's name, amen.